so I just like assumed that that's like, oh, that's just for other people. That's not what I do. But that's not true. Like you can learn anything you want to learn pretty much. You just have to, the question is like, do you want to? Like, are you willing to put in the time? But there's like, and you know, most of, most people can be taught to do most things. You just have to want to do it. Hey, this is Keith Padgett. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 144. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing Mick. She is a teacher, a writer, most recently published a book about eating bugs, which is very fascinating. We're going to dig into in today's episode. And she's been RVing around Europe with her husband while they work on a lot of different projects. And this is a wide ranging interview, but there's a couple things that I really took away from our conversation which is one, the power of asking for things outside your comfort zone, whether or not that's a client that you'd love to work with, but maybe you don't have all the skills and why women don't always do this. She cites a really interesting study about how often men will reach out for things that they're only partially qualified for. But if a woman reaches out for a job, then she is significantly more likely to already have the requirements for it. And that's just kind of an interesting thing that she's tried to break the mold of. And we dig into how she's kind of developed and refined that habit and also just building the habit of gaining new skills. And so it's a really wide-ranging interview that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. All right, let's get into today's show with Mick. All right, thanks for being on the podcast, Mick. Yay, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Mick, you've been traveling now for a little over six years. and that time, you've taught in foreign countries, taught yourself how to program. You've written a book on bugs. Congrats, by the way. Started a number of side projects, RV'd in Europe, and just done a bunch of other random things. So I'm just curious, when you meet somebody new, how do you, like, and you're having that conversation, somebody asks you, like, what do you do? How do you describe it? Oh, I hate that question because I do too. I, I do like- too. And I, and, and you know what? It's terrible and so hypocritical of me that I start off the podcast sometimes with that question because it's the last question I always try to ask when I'm in a day to day or social interaction. Like, I always try to go as long as I possibly can without asking that question. But sometimes it's also interesting to ask in this context because it's like when you do so many different things. You know, we're just not diving into that short. I'm going to let you answer the question before I keep rambling. So how do you answer that question? Uh, well, so <laughs> it depends on my mood because sometimes I'll answer it in a really roundabout way. But then I feel like I'm sounding like I'm being evasive to the person. Like I don't want to talk about it. So I'll just be like, sometimes I say something like whatever people pay me to do. <laughs> and then it sounds like not very good. <laughs> so um, I don't know how to answer that question. I really don't. Sometimes it's just on the context. Like sometimes I'll just tell people I'm a web developer. Sometimes I'll say I just wrote a book. Sometimes I say, I, I, sometimes, I don't know. It just it's depends an, on what I was doing that day, I guess. <laughs> a web developer. Yeah, that's an easy out. People are like, okay. Is, that's, like the, what I, that's what I say when I don't want to talk about it. Because unless they are also web dev, then they are like, okay, fine. And they don't care. But then if they're like, oh, really? What language? Then we can talk about that, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I struggle with this question so much. And Alyssa, like, gets on to me for it. Like, the other day we were going to, I want to say it was like a family thing. Or, no, it was the wedding. I was the best man in a wedding. Alyssa's like, how are you going to describe it? When people ask you, what do you do? And she was, like, coaching me in the car because I hate the question. And I try to avoid yeah. it, too. But uh, I think a lot of times it's just because people are asking it at a surface level. They really don't care. They're just kind of asking to ask. Oh, it's like, I may just say I have a software business and, you know, just leave it at that. But if somebody's genuinely interested, I think that's what makes all the difference. They're like, oh, cool. Like, tell me about it. You know what I mean? So. And I think that's might be why I tailor the answer based on the circumstances. So I might try to find whichever answer is most um, like might actually be interesting to who I'm talking to for that reason. 
Totally. Um, like if I'm at like a digital nomad meetup, then I might say web developer because half of them are web developers. But if I'm at like, I don't know what, something else, I might just, I don't know, I guess it just depends. So you told me that whenever you first started traveling, I guess like six or seven years ago, that you wanted to, that you wanted to hit like a life reset button. So talk to me about like, what was the impetus for you to go teach abroad and kind of like what started all of your travels? Uh, I didn't like my job. <laughs> what were you doing? I was a social worker. Okay. Um, and so I studied psychology in, in college just because it was, you know, like the thing to do, go to college, even if you don't know what you want to do. And I studied psychology because it was interesting. But it, then when I graduated, it, I did a couple of jobs and I didn't actually like most of them. And I, it was kind of in the middle of the, uh, the recession. So I didn't know what I wanted to do enough to commit to, uh, you know, like some people always know what they want to do. And I've always been really envious of those people that are just like really driven and like, uh, have, you know, know who they are and know what they want to do. And I've never been like that at all. I'm always like a jack of all trades type of, you know, I know a lot about a little bit of, no, a little bit about a lot of things. Um, and so I didn't want to commit to, you know, going back to school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, well, I've always wanted to travel (laughs) and I've always been really curious about how things are like for other people. Um, you know, you see, I've always like watching documentaries about other countries or whatever. I just always wanted to know what it was really like. And I knew that there was a high demand for English teachers, um, in places where they don't already speak English as a native language. And so it was actually a very easy job to get. And so it was just like, I thought it was going to be a, like I was saying, I used to call it my life reset button because I told all my friends I'd be back, you know, in a couple of months after my contract was finished. And, uh, that was seven years ago. <laughs> did you so, have, did you have anything in the back of your mind? Like it may actually be more than that or no. No. I, 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 I packed up all of my pots and pans and put them in my friend's house, you know, in her garage because I didn't want to buy it all over again. <laughs> and then, cause I was like, okay, I'm not going to buy these, you know, a spatula again. And so every summer I'd be like, actually, I, I kind of like my life better now. So I guess I won't be coming back this year, maybe next year. And so I'd go to her house and I'd get rid of more stuff like inc- 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 incrementally, not like, you know, get rid of everything. It would just be like, okay, I guess I don't really need this spoon. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and then by now I really only have like a couple of boxes at my parents' house. That's like, I don't know, like really important mementos, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We, uh, we pretty much did the same thing with all of our wedding gifts. And, uh, mm-hmm. after a couple of years, our siblings just started taking all of them. So <laughs> now we have no more wedding gifts, but I guess that's what we get for like getting free storage. It's the cost of doing business with my parents. <laughs> yeah. That, I did. I've, I've had that a couple of times where like, I, I, for example, I love to screen print t-shirts. And so I was like, you know, asking my dad, like, Hey, can you give this to my friend? Cause she's teaching her daughter how to screen print. And then she never came over. And so he just got rid of it. And it was like, I didn't mean I didn't want it at all. <laughs> I, meant, I meant she could have it if she wanted it. But that, again, it's like, okay, well, I did leave it at his house. So that's what happened. <laughs> totally. So you did you have friends who had taught English abroad or anything like that? Like, did you have anybody in your family or close circle who had kind of went and just traveled for a period of time before? Or was this kind of a new thing in your world? Because I find that's kind of an interesting part of going to travel. Like if you know people who are out doing it, you can kind of have those conversations. But I was just curious if you had that. Yeah, actually, that's true. I didn't think about it that way. But um, half of my family is teachers. Like my mom is like one of those that's going to like, you know, die in the classroom because she won't stop until she's not alive anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I had a friend who did it in uh, the Czech Republic. And so I guess that's true. I didn't think of it that way. But it did make it seem like, you know, a thing that people could do because my friend had done it. And of course, after you do it, like by after that, you make friends and they scatter all over. And anytime I would think about going to, you know, this country or that country, I'd be like, oh, yeah, my friend is in Turkey. What's it like in Turkey? You know, whatever. Totally. And so where did you get the teaching gig again? 
The first one was in the Republic of Georgia, which I always <laughs> I always enunciate the Republic because otherwise people start telling me about Savannah and Atlanta and I've never <laughs> been to those places. <laughs> um, it was a tiny little country between Turkey and Russia. And then and that was like kind of a stupid reason why I chose to go there. It was just because my, my boss was Ukrainian and I found this book that was like introducing you to Soviet Georgia. And it was like really old and weird. <laughs> and I was like, I just have to know everything about this place because I don't know anything about this place. And so I committed to living there for a year. And oh. then after that, I went, I went to Chile. So did you teach in Chile as well? Yes. Okay. So you're, you go for a little bit more than three months. So you're there for a year and then you go teach in Chile. So at what point did you, are you just like, I can, I want to do this indefinitely. And then what was the transition out of teaching into programming? Um, so I met my current husband, well, not current, like that makes it sound like he won't be, <laughs> he wasn't my <laughs> husband at the time that I met him. <laughs> I met my husband, Florian, um, when I was almost done teaching in Chile, I only had one month left of my contract when we met and he had been, um, just backpacking with his friend and he was blogging, but he was by now he is a blogger and that's what he does. And he's pretty like fairly well known in German blogging. But at the time he was doing the thing where most people, when they start a blog, it's just like, Hey mom and dad, this is what I did today. You know? And um, eventually he has made it into a real blog. Um, so we met when I was almost done. And then since he was kind of traveling, I just kind of went around with him because I didn't necessarily. Um, when we met, I was almost done teaching. And so I thought that teaching was going to be the thing I was going to do. And so but if you um, don't have your teaching credentials in the foreign job, in the foreign like teaching, teaching abroad market, you get paid significantly less than if you are like a proper teacher that can teach in the United States or like Australia or, you know, wherever. So I wanted to take classes so I could get my my license so I could get paid like three times as much money. And because there was such a big difference in the pay, it didn't really make any sense for me to get another job immediately. I was like, I should just focus on getting my license so I can make a whole bunch more money. And in that time period, um, I just also learned how to program. And then I felt like, well, this is actually also really fun. And if I do this, I don't, you know, at the time it felt like, oh, if you teach, you only have to live somewhere for one year. That's not much of a commitment. But then having the freedom of being able to move around all the time, pretty much whenever, it was like, actually, a year kind of sounds like a big commitment. If I'm programming, then I can be, you know, anywhere all the time. And so that's how I kind of transitioned into that. So that was kind of like getting the travel bug a little bit, just going over to Europe to teach and then kind of, because I found that we have used freedom a lot as kind of a little bit of a North Star in some ways, because it's like, okay, well, this is going to allow us to be more flexible and have to spend yeah. less time working for this person. So it sounds like you were kind of similar, like programming was kind of that thing for you that was going to allow you to step outside of teaching and go do your own thing. Yeah, like I didn't think I, I don't have a problem with teaching. I think it's a fabulous job, by the way. <laughs> I don't want someone to you know listen to this and be like thinking I'm saying that teaching is bad. It's not. It's a wonderful job. It's a great way to get to know a country because your students are really excited to share their culture with you. Um, but it did when it came down to like pulling the trigger, you know, after I got my credentials, I would did think about that. And it was like, wow, I'm going to commit to being here for like one to two years. That's a long time. <laughs> and um, yeah, exactly. I just felt like I really liked that. I don't that I can just, you know, whenever Florian and I want to go somewhere, I don't have to ask a boss or I don't have to like get rid of my you know mortgage or whatever. It's just like, hey, do you want to go here? Yeah, OK, let's go here. <laughs> so it's nice. <laughs> so how did you fall into programming? Like what what it was the inciting incident for you to start learning to program? And what were the resources that you used to teach yourself programming? Like, did you enroll into an online school? Did you buy a book or? Um, it was, there was a site I wanted to make. It was, I used to be super duper interested in roller derby. And so I wanted to make like a, a 
a, a statistics site because I felt like people were still using this like antiquated way of doing things. So it was just, it doesn't matter what you want to do. It's just that you want to make something. Um, and so I, I used the massively open online courses, the one that I liked a lot. I think it's called Programming for Everyone and it's on Coursera. And that is a really good one if you don't know anything. Um, that's, it's meant to like teach programming to people that don't know anything about programming. And then after that course, I had enough background knowledge to, that I could just like use tutorials and YouTube videos and, and that kind of thing. And so it was always project based, like whatever I felt like making. Um, I was just like, how do I, okay, I want to make this thing. How do I do it? And then you just Google it. I don't know how people learn things like 15 years ago because it's so easy now. <laughs> yeah. If, then, I mean, if, if you don't know something and you still don't know it after a little while, then it's just really your own fault. Yeah. I mean, I, that's how I feel half the time, you know, because um, it's really like all you need is some attention span and some time. And if you don't, you know, if you don't really care, then of course, there's lots of things that I don't know how to do because I don't, I don't think it's interesting. I don't want to learn. But if you want to learn how to do something, I mean, there's so many things you can just learn by spending some time reading about it online. So I did that. And I just, you know, by practice, like I've made several websites and lots of times I've made I have the bad habit of like making something because I want to do it not because anybody wants to use it so nobody uses it <laughs> but at least like I got a lot of you know like I was telling you in an email that I just got a job uh working for a software company and the I was really nervous about the skills test because everyone always says oh tech skills tests are so hard they're so hard you failure for several of them and the thing I had to do was something I've already done several times so it didn't actually take me that long at all because I've done it you know so it was just like oh, okay was there another part or <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a it's a win-win because even if nobody's using your site or your application that you've built you built those skills and they landed you a nice profitable location independent gig that you can do for a while yeah. while y'all are in Europe yeah I'm super excited about it I don't want to yeah I'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> so how long was it after you started learning so from the time you started learning take enrolled in the Coursera on the intro to programming until you got your first freelance gig. Cause I know you've like freelance and done a number of other things over the years. So how long, like, what was that time period? Do you remember? So I think it was something around like a year or a couple of months where I was only doing things for myself. And that's just because like, I didn't know anything. Um, and so, and then after about a year, I kind of knew some stuff and I got tired of, you know, they have all these, um, practices, these exercises that are really boring. <laughs> I mean, because the best way to learn something is by doing it. Mm -hmm. And so it would be like, I would actually, I have a, I had a friend that had a lot of business things and I'd be like, I don't want to do this homework assignment about calculating half-life because I don't care. <laughs> you have something that I could like make more efficient for you. And it so happened that, you know, she did. Um, so I did a couple of projects for her because she was always like, juggling a thousand excel sheets and so i like built her a couple databases so that it would do it for her and then uh, after that i did, did some stuff for other friends you know just like i guess that's how it started out with just people i know and then um somebody actually kind of the first <laughs> she doesn't know she was my first like freelance client but the first freelance client i ever found found me because of your uh the rve group on facebook oh really and um yeah and what she was asking for was something i'd never done before but it sounded like something i could you know i was like had a pretty good idea of what it was and how to do it so i was like uh i'm a freelancer and she <laughs> afterwards it felt like the really like the right kind of fake it till you make it because i had never called myself that before but i knew how to do all the things i said i knew how to do you know, and um, and she was really happy with it. And I get work from her like on a consistent basis. Um, and she said it was very professional. So it worked out, I guess. That's awesome. I mean, we were I mean, we're currently hiring some uh, some developers right now at Campground Booking. And I know you'd reached out and you're like, well, I'm not really uh, I don't really know the specific thing that you guys are trying to find. Uh, and so it 
it wasn't really a good fit, but you were like, yeah, I've just kind of made a habit of reaching out and trying to go for <laughs> things that may, I may or may not be qualified. Like, I think that's a really good habit, right? Well, I told you, I mentioned that, and this is like a, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox, which is I found out that women are usually will only apply for a job if they know like 100% of the qualities and men will usually apply for a job if they know about half of them. Mm. And that's part of the reason why men tend to get promoted a lot more because they'll put themselves out there. And so ever since I found that out, if I do the same thing where it's like, I don't know all of these things, but I know about 60 to 70% of them. And that's how you learn new things anyway, because after a while you can't always figure out what you want to learn by yourself. You know, you need someone to be like, Oh, okay, I need this so that you can learn this. Um, so yeah, that's what I do is just as long as it sounds like, you know, I know like 70% of it. So it's not like over my head, over my head. Um, you know, so what, it. what, where did you learn that men are full of crap? No, I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> when, where did you, where did you learn this? Uh, I read it somewhere. If you want, I'll find it and email it to no, you. No, I, I mean, it, to- I, I totally make sense. I think sense. it was somebody, I think it was some kind of data about like, uh, which, resumes were submitted to a job posting and they would like look at they would compare like the gender of the people that submitted versus like what they'd had experience in it's something like that i mean it's a real thing i didn't like make it up on some you know whatever but i'd have to <laughs> to find to be able to cite my source yeah no i i love that you self-taught programming and i think one thing we've kind of bounced around emails we've probably exchanged quite a bit, a bit of emails you're a very good emailer by the way uh, is that you've talked about just seeing people in like the Facebook group and other places that talk about wanting to go travel and see the world. And they basically a lot of times ask the same question. I have this skill set. Can I take this into the road or whatever? Uh, and sometimes it can, but I find that a lot of times it's like if people that have been really successful at being able to establish like long-term location independence, if that is their goal, have really went down into profitable skill sets and just learn that maybe even from scratch, like what you did with development and just tried a bunch yeah, of different you things. Do. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is you have, I mean, that was like never, you know, if you had told me like five years ago, or I guess it was six when I left that that's what I would be doing. I would not have believed you because, um, for one thing, I thought I was like a more of like a touchy feely social worker type. And, you know, I've always been around programmers. Like my brother's a programmer and my husband is now too. And, um, I just kind of assumed that like, I was like the nature person. I like camping, you know, like my first job, I was a wilderness guide. So I just like assumed that that's like, Oh, that's just for other people. That's not what I do, but that's not true. Like you can learn anything you want to learn pretty much. You just have to, the question is like, do you want to, like, are you willing to put in the time? But there's like, and you know, most of, most people can be taught to do most things. You just have to want to do it. Totally. Yeah. And I, I just think that's, you know, some people that talk about wanting to go travel, like we, we picked up a, a camera. We had never shot anything and, but we were filming a documentary. And so for a full year, we were filming three days a week and learning YouTubing stuff. And, you know, we weren't great. We were pretty mediocre and, you know, not very good. But nine months into that, because we had so much experience and we were networking and going to conferences and talking, you know, we got our first paid gig. And I think, you know, a year is not an unrealistic time frame. I think to start a skill from scratch and actually hmm. get paid for it. I mean, yeah, you, I think that's absolutely accurate. I mean, it might not, I'll, hopefully you'll be better at it, you know, after each moment of time. But yeah, I think that that's a good, I mean, no matter what, if you spend a lot of time, you know, 365 days in a year, if you spend a couple hours a day, how many, what is that? Like, I don't know how many hours, a thousand hours or something. <laughs> like you're going to have something to show for it if that's what you do. Totally. Yeah. So at what point did you guys buy an RV in Europe and start traveling? Well, no, this is embarrassing to admit, but actually we didn't buy it. His parents happened to have it. People in high places. <laughs> so how long did you guys take it out for? 
Uh, the first year, I want to say it was about three, it's about three months, like this is what we usually do in the summer. So we did it for about three months the first time. And the second time, it was maybe a little bit less, like two months. I think the really big selling point for me about RVing Europe is that I want to camp near castles. Oh my God, it's so easy. You know what's so funny about what's uh, like really relative, like what people think is interesting? Because in Europe, they're like Americans think castles are just amazing because we don't have them. The only so castle to- I've ever been to is the Magic Kingdom. So yeah. <laughs> exactly and so we think it's just like to us it's like oh my god i feel like i'm in like you know lord of the rings or game of thrones or whatever and then to them it's just old rocks they don't care most of the time so it's actually really i mean not like 100 percent of the time like you're saying magic kingdom and there's this one really famous castle in germany new schweinstein that people call the disney castle because that's how it looks mm. um but so obviously like it's harder to find parking next to that one but there's so many old castles that look really cool and it's really just like if anything it may, might be like the town makeout spot you know where it's like awkward when like a car shows up and people are like <laughs> getting busy next to you <laughs> um, but um yeah it's super easy and fun and i love that part too it's really like i'm still you know, even though i travel a lot i'm still american and i'm just feel like i'm in a fantasy movie and we're like i love it when we like set up you know like a breakfast and we're like eating breakfast in the castle and i'm just like this is the best that could possibly happen right now so when you guys are spending your summers kind of rving in europe what that sounds super fancy by the way uh so when you're spending (laughs) your summers rving in europe do you all typically i think you guys typically boondock i don't know if that's called something different in europe yeah they call it uh free camping or wild camping they don't call it boondocking but yeah we have actually never paid to park our rv ever um, we always, you know, and I would say like there have been a couple of times where it was like at an Ikea and not like super, you know, pleasant, <laughs> but I would say 80, 80, 90% of the time, it's either at one of the, the free uh, camping spots that I wrote about when I wrote the article for you guys, or mm-hmm. it's like at a castle and nobody, you know, even cares or like somewhere in the mountain or whatever. Nice. And, and I think I saw there's quite a bit of even like super low cost campsite. Op- they're not even campsite. I guess they're like parking lot, but I guess sometimes they're free as well. Kind of near cities mm-hmm. in Europe. Have you done experimented with those or? That's like plan B or something, because usually it's just it feels like a parking lot that, you know, nobody hassles you in. Like it's safe. It's just not like fun. You know, it's just like whatever is a parking lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, it's not. There have really only, I don't think there have been that many times, maybe only a couple of times where we were like driving longer than we wanted to because we couldn't find a place to park. But that doesn't usually happen. Usually it was like, you know, not not really that hard to find. Gotcha. Uh, so moving on past RVing in Europe, I know there's quite a few other random things that projects and things that you have your hands in. So I know you work with your husband some, he has a blog. And you guys have also done. <laughs> you see, work, work with work with your husband some. Each means I try to encourage him to monetize the things he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. He doesn't well, care. <laughs> I want to. I mean, one thing that you talked about was like you guys both. I, I don't know if your husband would say this as well, but you've basically said like I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's true. Why not? I mean, it seems like you're pretty entrepreneurial. Like you taught yourself how to program, and you have gotten clients before. So. I mean, you kind of technically are in some ways, but you just don't consider yourself one. Um, I, I guess I, well, the reason why I wouldn't say that is because um, I'm really not very money motivated at all. Like I usually just want to do something I want to do. And that's actually one of the reasons why I like your podcast a lot is because I have to train myself to think that way. Um, like, because I know that, you know, if I'm not charging, I, I want to just do stuff I want to do, but I also know that if I'm not charging to do it, then I'm going to have to charge people to do stuff I don't want to do because I won't have any money. Um, so that's like the constant thing is to try to think of my think of like, how can I maximize this? 
without turning it into something I wouldn't like anymore. You know, like I'm only doing it for the money or I'm, I don't know, squeezing it too hard and it's no longer enjoyable for anybody that's involved or anything like that. That's like what I find challenging. Um, I think I actually have made progress in the past year or two because I'm now talking to people that share my interests and I feel a little bit like, like I'm explaining to people what affiliate links are. (laughs) It's like, Oh, you sweet summer child. Why are you, you're a blogger and you don't even know what an affiliate link is. Like, let me tell you. So as you guys are, uh, it's funny because you said that your husband, he would get, e- he gets emails for like sponsorships and people want to collaborate <laughs> on his blog and he just forwards them to spam. Oh, I couldn't remember if I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so my husband, like I said, he's a pretty, he's a good blogger and he's German. So I'm not like spamming for him because I don't think many of your listeners are, you know, speak German, but, um, he's like a fairly well-known German budget travel blogger. And so when I started thinking like, oh, okay, I want to, I want to do something and I'm going to try to monetize, you know, this or that project. That's, I, I figured that he would be the one to ask because like he was our, you know, main breadwinner from his photos and his, um, blogging and things like that. And yeah, I was like, so how do you start with, you know, like approaching people for sponsorships? And he's like, oh, I just have them all sent to this one in, you know, in email box. So I never have to read them. (laughs) Okay. You're the wrong person to ask. (laughs) Is that just because he doesn't really care to do sponsor stuff on his blog or? Yeah, he well, for one of the things he writes about budget travel, so a lot of sponsored stuff wouldn't really fit, you know, what he writes about at all. Yeah, um, and he also just doesn't like doing it. So he, I mean, he he does do like if he does things as long as they're he, appropriate. Like for example, he write about like, you know, which uh, which is the best credit card to get if you're traveling, or he writes a lot about photography, so he'll like compare different cameras. Gotcha. As you guys are looking at like uh, stock photography, blogging, getting freelance clients, like how do y'all? figure out how much you need in order like at what point do you start saying no to things or not pursuing them because you want to have time to get out and travel if that makes sense because I was I'm always interested in figuring out and looking at that balance that people strike you know it's like how much is enough Mm, that's a hard question to answer um because well he he just does what he wants to do (laughs) he doesn't really like I was saying you said something about working with your husband and I was like well it's more that I follow him around and try to monetize the things he does like (laughs) Because he just like, for example, he does a lot. Some of our income comes from his stock photography. And so he doesn't really think of that like a job. He just loves taking pictures. He loves it. He loves editing pictures. And I think you you posted that he makes like a few hundred bucks a month on on stock photography, which seems really good for photos you may have taken several years ago, right? Well, that's that's the thing is that he um, it was just an experiment. You know, he was somebody suggested it because he loves taking pictures and it doesn't feel like work to him. And they were like, they're like, how many pictures do you have, you know, just that you've taken over the years? And he's like, I don't know, thousands. And so um, he spent about two months editing them and submitting them. And that, you know, that main cache, about 2000 photos hasn't been touched in like four years. And that still makes a couple hundred dollars a month. And then we still throw them up from time to time. Um, but I mean, most of it is just from those. And it's just like, that's like what I was saying, like, he doesn't really think about it at all, because that's literally passive income. I mean, he did something it was active for two months, four years ago. And then I mean, I guess it's still active, because he still takes pictures, but it's not something that is dependent on like, that happens whether he does it or not. Now, you know, it's not like we don't have to think about, oh, I have to take this break or that it just it still happens. It just depends on whether people feel like having a picture of, you know, bananas or whatever it is they're paying for. <laughs> and that's really one that like, got us 40 bucks is bananas. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> what um you've talked about doing just trying like out a bunch of different things since you guys hit the road and just kind of taking that approach and like seeing what sticks what are some of the things that you've tried out that didn't really work um so one of the things i'm interested in for the 
problem I wanted to solve is uh, medical travel because I've observed that in the United States, I don't want to get like too into this derailed conversation, but as everybody knows, medical care is really expensive in the United States. And having lived outside of it for about seven years and been to the doctor from time to time, I've observed that it's um, possible to get very cheap and still high quality. And it's not always high quality, that's the thing, <laughs> but very cheap. And also, if you do your research, high quality care. And so I wanted to do a thing that helped people find care they needed for what they could, like where they could actually, you know, afford to get it. Um, but I found that that is also very scary for people that are not accustomed to traveling. And so that was one of the things that I put effort into that I don't think is a good idea. And I should just like, uh, not focus on it as much because I think that it's not getting that much traction because it's too scary for people that don't travel very much. It's a site that make, it makes it easier for you to find the qualifications of uh, and also like the, the price medical treatments across the, like for example Thailand is a huge hub uh, for medical travel and so but the thing is I found that it's because it's so scary you have to really educate people about it like I felt like I found it I felt kind of uncomfortable with how flippantly a lot of medical travel websites treat the subject where they're like, yeah, you can do it for just this amount of money. And you're like, mm, somebody might die if they go to the wrong doctor. Yeah. And, but at the same time, when people are pricing something online, they don't usually want that much information. And so I wasn't really comfortable with knowing that even if I put information out there, people wouldn't read it. And if they didn't read it, then they might go make a bad decision. And it was just, I don't know. I, I put, I, I want, I like the idea of if people are not getting care because they can't afford it, helping them get, you know, figure out where they can get it. But uh, it has a lot of, it's a really complicated subject that can't really be solved by one person with a website. <laughs> what, how long have, how long did you work on it for? Well, I, I mean, I spent like, well, this is like another thing about the whole thing. Like I built the site, you know, I spent like maybe five months building the site and like, and this is actually one of the things I, you know, one of the advice that people give sometimes is to focus and like be all in. And for me, that's actually terrible advice. Because I could be all in on something, but if nobody uses it, then what does it matter? I'm all in on something nobody uses. Mm, so uh, for me, like people always say, don't, you know, don't be distracted by the shiny object or that. But actually this past couple of months, I've been just like pursuing about four or five things just, you know, to see like what happens. And that's been better because it's more like don't go all in unless you get traction on it. Mm. Um, and so I, I should not go all in on something that, you know, if I don't know if it's going to work out. And uh, this one was one that's. But I mean, at the same time, like I, a lot of the stuff that I learned how, how to do with programming, I made for that site. And so, like I said, when somebody else needed it, I was like, oh, I've done this a million times. Here you go. At what point do you know if, do you feel like it's okay to walk away from something uh, in, in order to do something else? Because I have that guilt. I, I've seen it with lots of different things that I've worked on. It's like, I, you know, it's kind of like a sunk cost and time investment because yeah. like I've put so much time into it. There's still a part of me that feels like it could be something really great, but also it hasn't showed that as well <laughs> you I mean, know what I, I mean I don't Go ahead. yeah I, I, I get the question you're asking and my mom kind of said the same thing when I was talking about these other things uh, that are getting a lot more traction and she's like oh but you put so much work into that and it's like that's it's not relevant whether I put in five minutes or five months or five years if nothing's coming from it nothing's coming from it so anytime that you find out that nothing's coming from it you can walk away from it in an ideal world I kind of beat myself up over this sometimes because I'm like well if I don't have a set what is success you know, it's more huh. just like a feeling of because I don't know, I guess maybe that's not the way I think or I'm lazy, but huh. it's like, OK, if you said I'm not getting 10,000 visitors a week or a month to this website that reviews medical plans and things like that, then that's not success. And if I don't get there by year one, then I'm done because I put X amount of time in. I don't I think that really methodical people and maybe even better people think that way and they do that. But if it's like if you don't have that 
that barometer for what success was in a given time frame? Is it just kind of like a feeling or do you actually have those numbers that you set for projects? I understand the question you're asking and I wish I had a better answer to give you because my answer is actually more uh, relative. Like if I had nothing else going on, maybe I would still try to, you know, (laughs) work on this failed project. But so I wouldn't have, but because I have other things that are going well, the answer is just, well, this is taking me my time away from something that actually is working out. So I think that's the very real answer. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like that is one thing about entrepreneurship. It is messy because it's not Mm -hmm. always that clear and cut. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's (laughs) what people don't tell you. (laughs) Going back, I know we're kind of like hopping around everywhere in this, in this interview, but uh, you said that you've just started learning, you've learned a lot more, I guess, just about like thinking like an entrepreneur the past couple of years. What do you feel like have been some of the most helpful lessons that have helped you just think about, you know, charging for what you do and also just um, how everything mixes together, I guess? Well, actually, the thing that I I think I learned that was the most valuable in general is to focus on um, the people that you want to help. Because I used to, I, I used to think that business, I'm sorry, this is going to maybe come out badly, but because I was like a social worker type person, I thought that business people were just like selfish jerks. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was, and I've, and I've listened a lot more and learned a lot more about like maybe a bad business person and like the the character, I mean, like a caricature of one is, you know, like, but the real people that are like just regular people that have, um, you know, businesses where they're actually like doing something they want to do and helping people, they actually, they are trying to solve a problem. And so with the things that I've had that have worked out, it really has been like not focus on what I want to do. Um, but focus on like, how can I help you and what problems do you have that I can solve for you? And that has actually sounds like so obvious. I shouldn't have to say it, but that's what works (laughs) is figuring out how you can help people. And you can do that in a, by offering them a product that makes their life easier or a service or, or any number of things. And it's okay to, to kind of merge these things together and, help someone, but also charge for helping someone. Totally. I think, I mean, it becomes really easy. Like I get into mindsets where I'm just thinking about the solution I'm offering instead of the needs that the other person have. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it never works out. Yeah. That's how I started by thinking about like, like, I guess that's the kind of what I was saying with the the medical travel thing is like, I wanted to solve a problem in the way I wanted to solve it. And um, when I've kind of gone back to like more thinking about like, what does this problem, what problem does this person have? And like, how might they how, what is a solution that's easier for them or better for them? And how can I, rather than like, what can I, how can I convince them to do what I want them to do? It's um, like, how can I solve something for them that will make their life easier? How do I need to figure out how to do that? You know? Yeah. One, one very practical thing I've learned in, and I do this in every proposal I send out when we're working with a client, whether that's like a podcast sponsor or it's something bigger is in the proposal I send them, I write down why this makes sense, both for them mm-hmm. and us. And I find that there's a lot, always like a lot of gibberish. And maybe if we were running a big agency mm-hmm. or something like that, it wouldn't be super professional to put why this makes sense. But I found that it's the most relatable thing. And most oftentimes it's the people when they respond, it's like, I love the why, you know, the why part, because it just really clarifies mm-hmm. like, this is why this makes sense for both of us to do this. And if I can't write those things down, it's probably not a good fit anyway. Yeah. And sometimes I think it is like when you leave scripts where you like, because again, like don't think of them as like an object, you know, that has something you want. If you like, remember that they're also like people that are busy or that need something or have senses of humor, you know, then I think that goes a long way too. And you want to be able to walk away from it feeling good. Like you did genuinely help them. Uh, The last question I have for you is 
I ask each episode, but how do you define success in what you do in your work and in your travels and everything else? And your bug book. I forgot to ask you about your bug book. <laughs> oh, tell me about your about bug, bug book, book and then answer this Wait, question. Yeah. Talk about my bug book, please. <laughs> yes. Talk about your bug book. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me about my bug book because it's such an acquired taste, literally. Um, but I, I just finished a, a cookbook about how to prepare edible insects. And I'm so excited about it. I could talk about it forever. Um, but um, it's amazing. I should have led. We should have just talked about that the whole time. I'm a failure yeah. as an interviewer. <laughs> I please talk. I'm sorry. You probably have stuff to do. But can I please talk about it for please a couple minutes? Please hit me. Um, okay. So I, I wrote a, a cookbook about edible insects. And I'm so excited about it because believe it or not, they are actually. And I know that like most of the time when I'm talking to my American friends who you know hang out in America all the time, they just are giving me side eye the entire time. But they are actually really good. It's really normal in Thailand to just have like fried, you know, crickets or silkworms or, you know, whatever. And it's, they are like at first I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're eating bugs. You know, but after you get used to it, like it's really just a, a snack. It's like it's food like anything else. It's just for some reason we don't eat it in the United States. And so I came across this restaurant in Bangkok that's like high cuisine. Like it's not just like snack, you know, drunk person fried crickets. It's like really, really fancy, you know, dishes. And I just thought it was the most interesting thing I'd ever seen. So I started reading a lot about about edible insects and I could tell that I was getting the like obsessiveness on where I was like, if I want to learn everything about this, I might as well like produce something that other people can use afterwards because and not just spend like a month reading everything. And then that's it. That was like a blip on my radar. I lost my month to edible bugs. (laughs) And so um, I got really interested in it. But the thing is that in the in the West, like in in uh, in, America and Europe, since it's not something we normally eat, a lot of the books that are about it are coming from like a biology or like an ecology standpoint where they're like, this is good for the planet or like, this is good for you for this reason. Or like, oh, they're here. We might as well eat them. But there weren't very many coming from like a, just a purely like, no, this tastes good. So this is how you eat it because it tastes good standpoint. Like even the ones that call themselves cookbooks didn't have that many pictures and didn't have like that many recipes. It was mostly essays. And it's like, I've never, I love food and I love cookbooks and I've never like picked up a cookbook on Indian food and read like 10 essays on why you should eat Indian food. Cause it's <laughs> like, I know that's why I bought this book. Just show me how to do it. And so I felt like that was really lacking was just a purely like, I don't care about the ecology. I don't care about the nutrition. I just want to eat it. How do I eat it? And so I, that's what I did. Um, and I like incorporated, there's a lot of businesses around the world right now that are like startups about like, how do you, you know, like make cricket powder or like, you know, mealworms or whatever. And so I contacted a lot of them. Um, and it's, I, again, I feel like it's really win-win because it was like, this is interesting for me. I want to write about it. You know, this is like beneficial for you because you're trying to sell your product, but people either don't know, they might not know you exist, or if they do, they're like, I, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, so um, so some people like already had content and they were just, I just asked them if I could use it because they would have like four you know, recipes of how to use their products. And then some people were like content creators where they just, they are also interested in the subject so that they blog about it. And so I just asked if I could use some of their content. And I put together a book that has like 85 recipes, about 40 of them are mine and about 30 something are from 20 other contributors. And it's like, I think it's kind of the same thing that you do with a podcast where you want to talk like to, to stave off the imposter syndrome. You like have other people so you can talk about the other people. Yeah. And that was what I wanted with the book was like, I wrote the book a long time ago, but I found that I could not promote it because it was like so ripped from my head that I was like, I just, I feel like I'm talking about myself and I can't, even though I believe like what's in here, I just can't tell people to buy it because it feels like I'm promoting myself. But if I include a lot of other people, then it's like, I am just talking about this subject. It's not about me at all. 
mean, it is like I wrote a lot. I mean, honestly, I wrote like 60 or something percent of the content, but I'm talking about the subject, you know, and I'm promoting these businesses that I really am interested in and like respect what they're doing and like what they're doing. And so it feels very like it doesn't feel like it's about me at all. Um, so it feels very good to be able to do that and to know that I'm like essentially helping people who are interested in the subject but don't know where to start find where they can start and how they can start, who they can talk to. And it was so much fun. <laughs> what is one of the most popular recipes in the bug cookbook? Well, um, I really like um, the one of the ones that I did, which is because I'm from New Mexico. So I love pozole. And so I made pozole with waxworms. Because I don't know if you eat pozole in Texas, but they have like these varying textures of like the, the it's served with like a fresh onion. So they're like crunchy. And then there's like the hominy, which is like really thick. And then there's like a soft pork. And then if you have the waxworms, they're like juicy. They're like soft and juicy. And so it's like so many different textures and flavors in this bowl of soup that I think it's just delicious. Interesting. But um, I know that like, it's funny because when I talk to my American friends and I'm like, oh, you know, they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I wrote, wrote a book about edible insects. And they're like, oh, my God, why are you doing that? That's disgusting. But then I talk to my Thai friends and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I wrote a book about edible insects. And they're like, that is so boring. Why would you write about that? It's like I just told them I'm writing about like potato chips or something. They're just like, who cares? You're basically like Julia Childs, but for edible insects. I know that we have a huge cultural bias and everyone has their cultural biases, you know, so, you know, I'm not going to. I don't even try to convince people. It's like, if you want to do it, I'll tell you how. And if you think it's gross, then that's fine. Like, I'm not going to, I don't care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it was so fun to do. And it, I really enjoyed the, pro the, the project because it was like all the stuff I'd heard about and read about, about like what you're supposed to do, like what we were talking about, where it's like you solve a problem for somebody. And it's like, that was exactly what I was like. I, I think you're doing the right thing, you know, coming to these companies with their recipes. But it's like, I would like to make it easier for people to find you. And they're like, that's great we also liked that. <laughs> and so it was really, and there was like so many times where it was like, you know, like there's another company that makes pasta out of, um, out of cricket powder. And so it has like more protein than typical pasta and it has like more like omegas and things like that. And I was like, I, it sounds fun. I would like to, you know, make something with your pasta. And they're like, here's some free pasta, make something. And I did. And it was really fun. And also in Bangkok, I don't really have much of a kitchen because it's normal for, you know, to just eat outside all the time. So they're like, how about you just come over to our kitchen and do it? And so I was able to like, make you know four other recipes at their place and photograph it they, and it was just very like they're happy that i used their products and they got to put you know put some content marketing on their page and i'm happy because i got to make more food and include <laughs> more stuff in my book and it was just all very win 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 i love it so much where can people find your book uh they can find it on amazon it's called bugs for beginners because like i said i know that most westerners have no idea they don't even know it's food let alone how to prepare it um and, and I mean, there's also a website, bugsforbeginners.com, but you can just find it on Amazon. <laughs> I love it. Uh, awesome. And is there another website or a pl good place to connect with you online? Um, yeah, let me think. Actually, Bugs for Beginners is what I do most of the time now. I mean, I also do like I did some freelancing on teamcoffeeclutch.com, but I made a bad mistake of using a German word as my <laughs> website so no one knows how to spell it. <laughs> All right, bugsforbeginners.com. Mick, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and taking time to chat. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Mick. Make sure to go check out our book. And if you want to grab the show notes for this episode, head on over to heathandalissa.com and click on podcast. I appreciate you guys for listening to this podcast, supporting it, and would always love for you all to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes if you have a chance. Thank you all so much, and I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.